It's a Law and Gospel Wednesday, January the 13th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Wednesdays, we like to take a look at Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther, a series of lectures he gave to students. We're going to be taking a look at the 36th evening lecture. He gave that on September the 25th in 1885. And it's the second part of Thesis 22. Let me read that to you. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if a false distinction is made between a person's being awakened and being converted. Moreover, when a person's inability to believe is mistaken for not being permitted to believe. So, in our last broadcast on Thesis 22, we made the point that Walther makes is that because a person sometimes appears to be awakened, some people say he's still not converted. He may be awakened by the law, but now he has to decide to believe in order to be converted. And we do not agree with that at all. So 36th evening lecture. He begins by talking about that you would think that after the fall into sin, and he's talking about humanity, and the absolute misery that resulted from it, all people would accept the doctrine of Holy Scripture with great joy. It states that a person is made righteous and saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. You would think that they would recognize this the very doctrine that the religion of the Bible must be the only correct one because it is exactly the religion that poor sinners like us need. Unfortunate, that is not so. In fact, he goes on to say the very opposite is true. To this day, though the world really stumbles over salvation by grace, through faith, not on account of works. Because as the Apostle Paul says, our salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That's Romans 9, 16. But in the opinion of the world, it's a disgrace to proclaim this gospel of free grace, because the world believes that what needs to happen is so great that mankind unquestionably has to achieve something exceedingly great to obtain it. When the old Adam inside of us observes that certain religions make salvation very difficult to achieve, we assume that these people must surely be on the straight road to heaven. So, 
He gives the example of the priests of Baal. Remember, there was this big problem between Baal and Elijah. And the priests of Baal, they displayed great enthusiasm in the worship of their idol. They cut themselves after their custom with sword and lances. The poor people who were watching all this did not know the difference between the true prophets of God, and they therefore challenged the real prophets to do likewise, thinking that the prophets of Baal, because it was so hard for them to get their God to answer, were the true prophets. And this went on until the prophet Elijah, by a miracle, revealed the hypocrisy of the priests of Baal, when not only the altar items burnt, but even the stones upon which the altar was built. Walther then moves to the Bible, where unbelieving Pharisees and scribes taught the people that in order to be saved, you had to fulfill the law of Moses down to the very last jot and tittle. You, you recall, Paul says, boy, if anybody wants to challenge me according to the flesh, I was better than almost anybody. I was a Pharisee. I was following the ceremonial laws. I was righteous in them. But then he came to the conclusion through faith in Jesus that all of that was like rubbish because none of that saved him. So Paul had founded the churches in Galatia and he was a powerful speaker and he showed the way to salvation that is much too easy and too wide said his opponents. That, that was said to me once on the radio program when a woman phoned in and said, you Lutherans make it too easy to be saved simply by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I responded, ask Jesus how easy it was. You see, these unbelievers claim that to be a Christian you had to, among other things, believe in Christ, but furthermore, you had to keep the entire law of Moses. It's always been taught this way by unbelievers. Why do so many millions of people remain under the Roman Catholic teaching that you need to do good works and surround yourselves by them? Human beings regard the works of God as unimportant, yet they highly honor human works. If that isn't a reverse of reality, but it's part of the result of the fall from grace. It's a horrible mingling of law and gospel. Unfortunately, Walter continues that it also occurred in the Evangelical Lutheran Church. And this is what the second part of the thesis 
alludes to. In their heyday, he says, the so-called pietists were not the only people to make a false distinction between awakening and conversion. Both them and others refused to regard those who had been awakened as Christian. They also confused not being able to believe with not being permitted to believe. They often warned against believing too soon and thinking now that they had felt the effects of the law, they should move on to believe that their sins had been forgiven. Unless somebody feels sorry for angering their merciful Father in heaven, their contrition was declared to be null and void. They needed to move forward, said these false teachers, where they could hear an inner voice within them telling them, be of good cheer, your sins will be forgiven. God will be merciful to you. But only after adding themselves or ridding themselves of the love of sin and only after being thoroughly converted would they start to feel comfort. The first truth is this, that we are not first converted and then believe. Rather, without feeling anything, we first believe that we have received grace, and after that, we feel that we have received it. And how does God do that? He distributes this salvation to each of us according to his good pleasure. Because the Bible makes very clear that nobody can produce faith in himself. That is the work of God. A person who still considers himself sound and righteous like the Pharisees did cannot believe. And Walter uses Proverbs 27, verse 7. One who is full loathes honey. What does he mean by that? If you're so full of your own self-righteousness, you will reject the honey of the gospel. John 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Now, what Jesus was using these words for, he was addressing the Jews who unquestionably were against the Pharisees. As long as a person is greedy for honor, he cannot come to faith because seeking personal honor is a mortal sin. The Lord declares that a person who simply will not stop a certain sin cannot believe in him. We must not therefore draw the conclusion that such a sinner is not permitted to believe. Because even when we sinners fall into the most serious sin, we may suddenly realize that we have forsaken God. 
at at this point, we can then get up with a crushed heart and believe. Whoever would tell such a person that he's not permitted to believe is either a wicked person or someone who in this respect is still blind. This is contrary to the perfect redemption of Christ from all sins, the perfect reconciliation. John says, and this is in 1 John chapter 2, the first two verses, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this is very hard for people to understand, that the entire world has been reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God against the whole world has been removed. And that's taught in 2 Corinthians 5.14. One has died for all. All, therefore, have died. What the apostle is saying is that since Christ died, it is the same as if every person had suffered death for their sins, namely the death that Christ died. In fact, we find that very clearly in Romans chapter 6, when baptism is referred as the means by which we also were crucified with Christ on the cross. We died, we were buried, and we also have been risen from the dead. The fact of the matter is that the teaching of the Bible is that all people by the death of Christ were forgiven their sins. For example, the Calvinists do not believe that, some of the Reformed churches, because they believe that Christ died only for the elect, which is a horrible teaching, because how do you know that you are part of the elect? If you're not part of the elect, you can even be baptized and yet that doesn't save you. So it's a terrible teaching that Christ died only for the elect. He died for everyone. And sinners attempt to share with God the work of their redemption. This is nothing short of blasphemy because we're saying what God did wasn't sufficient. And this teaching that we have to add to the works of God is also contrary to the doctrine of absolution. What's the doctrine of absolution? It's when Jesus said to his disciples, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who really believes that? According to Walther, only genuine Lutherans, for in every other denomination, it is contemptible to hear that, that Jesus died for everyone. 
So, some claim that the meaning of Christ is this. When a pastor notices that a person is in the proper condition, he may persuade that person to believe that he has forgiveness of sins. These are human thoughts, says Walther. How does a pastor know a person is in a proper condition? In fact, the way we begin our absolution is upon this, your confession. So that is not something that I'm concerned about as to whether or not a person has made the proper confession, because that is something between him and God. And an individual knows whether or not he has made a proper confession. Then we absolve him. Luther uses, I'm sorry, Walter uses this analogy. There is a town of rebellious people, and the king declares that full amnesty has been given and that no one needs to suffer for their rebellion. So in that case, anybody can say the king has crushed the rebellion. He has conquered the rebels. You can be of good cheer because he has pardoned you. So if the speaker talking about the fact of what the king did, giving amnesty, was to bring a document signed and sealed by the king, everybody would rejoice and begin to celebrate. So also by the resurrection of Christ, God has declared that he is reconciled. And the document we have is Holy Scripture. Every Christian can forgive people their sins, promising that what they say here on earth, God will do in heaven. When you confuse not being able to believe with not being permitted to believe, this indeed is contrary to the practice of the apostles. For example, whenever someone demonstrated the attributes of a poor sinner, the apostles would tell him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they never said, now let's wait a bit for this and that to happen. At the very first Pentecost, when the listeners to Peter were worried that they had killed the Messiah, Paul told his listeners, you used to hate Christ, but now believe in him and be baptized. It's very foolish to appeal also to a person's good intentions in trying to come to a conclusion that they have the necessary requirements to be saved. For example, when a builder is going to build a building, he may begin with digging a pit but then he immediately lays the foundation in the pit because if he doesn't, rain may cause a flood and ruin the pit. 
or when a doctor does treatment, he does not wait two weeks before applying a soothing ointment when he lances a boil. When the boils of men's sins have been lanced, the soothing ointment of the gospel must be applied immediately. Walther quotes Luther's writing on this matter. While the first kind of preaching, namely that of the law, is going on, people then get filled with anxiety when they think of God and discover that they are condemned with all their sins. They do not know what to do. Their conscience becomes evil and timid. And if no one comes to their rescue speedily, they then despair. And that's what the gospel is coming to their rescue immediately. And the, the words of the gospel is that the gift has already been made by God. This unfortunately is missing in many church bodies. They do not believe that redemption has been completely given as a gift to all people. They imagine, therefore, the gospel is a set of instructions as to what a man must do in order to be reconciled with God. This is a self-contradiction because nobody can be saved by doing anything. In other words, unbelief in not believing that God has reconciled the world to himself is nothing else than blasphemy, and it also accuses God of being a liar. God wants to have the preaching of his word regarded as nothing other than his own preaching. And that's the authority that every Christian has as a gift from God. Now, when a preacher absolves someone, it is therefore actually God absolving that person. Yeah, in the absolution upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, and by Christ's authority, I announce to you the forgiveness of your sins. Pastors don't have the power to forgive anyone, but we have the authority. Just like when that king declared everyone to be free of their rebellious tendencies, and they would not be held accountable. That letter could be read by anybody, and because the king wrote and signed it, it was as good as if the king himself had said it. Therefore, Walter makes a point. When someone is absolved of their sin, it is actually God absolving that person. God does not want to deal with us immediately, that is directly, but immediately, that is through means. And that's why we refer to the gospel as a means of grace, because it is the statement by God that a person who has been struck by the law as an in 
deep despair that he has his sins forgiven. Unfortunately, many people sitting in the pews, Walther says, go home after the service still condemned as hardened sinners. But the children of God rejoice over the good sermon they have heard and go home realizing that the heavy load of their sins has been removed from their shoulders. Next week, we'll continue with the 37th evening lecture. We're getting close to the end. There are 39 altogether. And so we encourage you to listen to next week's because it's going to talk about the 23rd thesis. I'm Tom Baker, tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz on a subject for your interest. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.